The following is a hoop ball presentation. Yo, what's up, y'all? It's NBA today. I'm Corbin Ford. I'm fired up. I've seen too much. Listen, this NBA season's been crazy. Contact tracing has been a word I never thought associated with the season so early and so often, but yet here we are. Uh, we had a game yesterday, two days ago now, where the Philadelphia 76ers played with eight people because they were everyone else was out either due to injuries or COVID restrictions. It was insane. But that's not why I'm fired up. No, that's not at all why I'm fired up. Am I fired up because the Wizards lost Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal a little bit? Maybe, yeah, just a touch. But no, I'm not fired up about that. What I'm fired up about is the Russell Westbrook slander out the gate. I have to, I have to tag it. I have to go at it, all right? I'm just sitting here, you know, gathering some research for NBA Today, looking at some numbers, looking at some really good articles to kind of get a different perspective, right? Fine. And I see one on um, fan-sided, you know, fan-sided NBA. Um, shout out to Christopher Giovini. I hope I pronounced that right. But while I hope I got your name right, I hope I didn't get your attention to your article right. Washington Wizards, the addition of Russell Westbrook isn't looking good. The Washington Wizards have been bad with Russell Westbrook is what this premise of the article is on. Christopher, I think the Washington Wizards have just been bad. <laughs> like, Russell Westbrook, we get it. I'm a Russell Westbrook stan, okay? I, I, I'm all about it. All right, I all know this. If anyone's listening to me for any stretch of time, any iota of time, it's been real. Now, has Westbrook looked rough? Of course he has. I mean, the dude is averaging a triple-double, right? And we know this. However, that's probably been the most overused um, segment of it in general because while he is averaging uh, 20, what do you think he is, 20, yeah, 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 11 assists this season, right? The Wizards are just 2-6, and six, and we know that Westbrook has been shooting as efficiently at all. I mean, his attacks to the basket are bad. Because they barely exist. His three-point shooting has been slightly better, but what, when you're 29%, is that if that's slightly better, then you really have a problem, right? Um, and his just aggressiveness on that has not been real. He's had um, two dunk attempts, 23 layup attempts, and 72 jump shots this year. Compare that to last season where through the first five games is where the sample size taken. He attempted nine dunks, had 36 layups, and 46 jump shot attempts. So he's doubled his jump shots, almost tripled it, while cutting in half his dunks and pretty much slicing clean through his layups. That's not great. It's not great at all. We understand that. Now, is that a source of loss of athleticism because Russell Westbrook is 32 and all those knee surgeries have finally caught up with him? Is that what it is? I don't think so. I don't think so. No. What I think it is, is a lineup that is not optimized for spacing for him. And yes, maybe a slight, a slight reduction in athleticism. And this is why. In OKC, Russ Westbrook wasn't known for playing with the bastion of strong outside shooters, right? He had a few. You know, he had some of the best in terms of like a Kevin Durant, a James Harden, uh, to a much, much lesser extent of Victor Oladipo. But for the most part, playing with guys who really can't stretch the floor. Jeremy Grant didn't really get his three ball coming in till late in his OKC career, right? More like that last season. Is, I think that would be true. You have shooting guards like Tabo Cephalosha, Andre Robertson, uh, Terrence Ferguson, who were at best very inefficient shooters and at worst non-shooters at all. You know, and then you have yourself in Westbrook, who's obviously not a great shooter. And you look up and down the line, Serge Ibaka was a decent one. Again, toward the end of his uh, Thunder tenure, he became more of an effective shooter, but he was mid-ranging in. So Russell Westbrook is kind of used to playing in cramped space already, but his athleticism was so big that that didn't matter. You know, he could carve out openings out of nothing. You know, he could play without that. 
Then you put him to Houston. He has that one year in Houston where you're not playing with a, 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 a plethora of strong three-point shooters, but you're playing with a couple of guys who will take, if not make, a vast majority of their shots from three. So now that opening is there just because of the space demanded by we're going to let these threes fly. And even that wasn't most optimal because you were still playing with the big in terms of Clint Capello, who wasn't shooting threes and wasn't doing anything if it wasn't point blank range from the basket. And you're playing with, again, I'm speaking of Russell Westbrook, you're shooting 25% from three already. So there is even more of a cramped bounce, although there is a little less than there was in OKC. Now you bring it to Washington, where you're not getting the athletic kind of trade-off you're getting with OKC with the non-shooters, but where, you know, Greyhounds are going to run up and down the floor, we're going to make defensive um, turnovers, and we're going to make points out of that. You don't have that. And you also don't have what you had in Houston, which is, okay, you know, we're decently uh, sound on the defensive end. What we're going to do is we're going to take threes, and just that inherent gravity by us letting it fly from deep will open up some space for you, and we're going to trade our center and give you another guy who can space the floor, play five out and let you go at the basket I will. We don't have that either. Right now in Washington, it's almost like the worst of both worlds. Defensively, this team is gosh-awful. Gosh-awful. We already know this. I'm not even going to spend time kind of breaking down how bad they are on that end, but we all know they suck there. Offensively, they're not a plethora of shooters at all. And, in fact, that's where I think the real issue is, the spacing. Now, you know, I think Coach Brooks has done a good job of trying to adjust uh, Westbrook more to making himself get to the line by instead of having him get the ball and, and have to drive the basket, posting him up more, you know, and, and letting him kind of make plays there. He had a good game against Brooklyn um, where he was posting up more and got to the free throw line a lot better. Um, and that helped because, you know, he still has a physical, physical advantage over guys. He can shot fake and go to the basket hard and get, knock down and get to the free throw line but that's a, a, a more it's a less organic way of getting to the free throw line than Russell Westbrook used to in the past where he would use his athleticism and his ability to get to the rim on a consistent basis to make stuff happen right but here's the problem shooting in general for the Wizards has not been great outside of a red hot Bradley Beal and as great as he's been 101 points over two games all that good stuff on like plus 53 percent shooting plus 50 percent shooting from three all of that it still doesn't make up for the fact that most of the lineups that surround Westbrook are horrible. I mean, they have the three-point guard lineup specifically, where it's him, Ishmith, and Raul Neto. That is just yikes. It, it definitely does not harken back to the OKC uh, point guard lineup of Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. It definitely does not do that at all. Um, but three of the four lineups with the worst effective field goal percentage for the Wizards involve Russell Westbrook. It's been really, really rough in terms of getting that spacing. And it's understandable when Westbrook is shooting as bad as he has from three. But if you look at the other guys who are also around him, I mean, are you surprised that the three-point shooting is not great? I mean, it really shouldn't come as a surprise. Most of the lineups have uh, Denny Advija up there, um, and he's been a, a decent, uh, if not definitely inconsistent shooter. Um, Robin Lopez is in the mix. Ish Smith is in the mix. I mean, that's three guys. If you're putting a Rui Hachimura or someone there as well, uh, Isaac Banga, I mean, you're not getting maximum uh, floor spacing. I don't think that needs to be stressed out. So I think that some of this, it's easy. Russell Westbrook is an easy guy to jump on. The Wizards are playing horribly. It makes sense that you look at someone who came with a lot of expectation, whether or not he should have in Russell Westbrook. I certainly thought he should have, but whatever the case may be. And if he's not playing up to optimal levels, especially when you're in the backcourt with someone who is literally putting the team on your back on a consistent basis in Bradley Beal, then it is easy to look and go, you know what, Russell Westbrook is the problem. Because in the minds of most, Russell Westbrook has always been the problem. And the nuance that you would like to see 
within NBA discussions is not there. And it is a constant annoyance of mine. Like, I should not be the Russell Westbrook stand that I am. I should not be. Y'all made me. NBA Twitter has made me. And how do I say that? Listen, because they are so overwhelmingly against Russell Westbrook that there is no nuance on anything positively he provides. Triple doubles, fake stats. Or triple doubles, um, what is it called? Um, they, they shouldn't even count. Arbitrary measurement. All this weird mojo jojo mumbo bumble about the fact that he is contributing in across a, a, a couple of categories. Oh, he's stat padding. Oh, this and that. Oh, he's not a good shooter. Oh, yada yada. All the time. All the time. It is so annoying. So I said, you know what? Years ago, I'm going to plant my feet in and we're going to stand for Russ. Is it fun? No, it is. It is so exhausting. There is a great community of Russell Westbrook fans out there, and I stand in solidarity with them, but it is so, so exhausting to keep the fight for so long. I don't know how y'all do it. I don't know how I do it. But anyways, I, I just think, and you look at the Wizards right now. Let's look at the fact that they are awful on defense with or without Russell Westbrook on the floor. Let's look at the fact that you don't have another offensive creator outside of Bradley Beal and to a much lesser extent in comparison, Russell Westbrook, to get a team into their offense, much less manufacture points on a consistent basis. Let's look at the fact that Scott Brooks has just deep benched Troy Brown Jr., aside from him being another guy who can create some semblance of offense. I mean, let's look at the fact that defensively, as Bradley Beal said, they couldn't guard a parked car. There was a lot to look at. Let's look at the fact that Coach Brooks is... Um, rotations have been weird, dumb, dumbfounding. They've been awful. I mean, it doesn't even take five minutes of sample size to know that that's not a good look in terms of some of the lineups that he's put out there. There's a lot to look at that goes far beyond Russell Westbrook and is not exclusively held to Russell Westbrook. So why are we focusing on just Russell Westbrook when the Wizards are 2-8 and eight and there is a plethora of issues with them? I'm just saying. There is a lot more than Russell Westbrook here. And it is the easy, oh, I am so... I, I don't even want to articulate what the thought process is for those who just want to center everything about the Wizards being wrong on Russell Westbrook. And, and shout out to Chris, Chris Giovanni. Um, hope I got that name right. I'll link to the article. Uh, this is a decent article, but, like, come on, there's more to it. And that's it. There's more to it than just that. So, yeah, that's my Russell Westbrook rant of the day. All right, so real quick, I feel like I buried the lead, but this is a HoopBall presentation, so to make sure to check out HoopBall on Twitter at HoopBallTweets online, Hoop dash ball.com um i keep saying all the time we got a lot of great content over there in fact i was just reading the amazing draft guide player profiles that hoopball has uh to just realize where i went wrong with my fantasy basketball picking but also to understand more of the not only just the terminology but what goes into making the top picks and how to make certain plays and whatnot and hoopball is the best when it comes to that just Straight up, real talk, easily. Uh, for a very, very low price, twelve ninety nine a month, you can get the HoopBall 360, which is so, so good, y'all. I'm not even playing. Uh, includes everything. All of our HoopBall products in one affordable price. Get the Fantasy Pass, the DFS Pass, the Wager Pass. Get the Brewski 150, which is, for my money, the best 150 list out there. And you get the HoopBall VIP experience, which goes down to our Dan Best versus Famous Tweet Storms. You have access to our HoopBall Discord. Uh, you name it, you get it with the HoopBall 360. So, I mean, I don't know what you're waiting on that end. You, you got to hop on and get that. Uh, the draft guide is the bomb, but there is so much more out there to be had. So, definitely make sure to check that out. Also, please, NBA Today, rate, review, subscribe. Give me any info, feedback, all of it. I will take it to how to make this show better, okay? So the one way you can do that is through reviews um, on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. Just look for NBA Today. 
uh, give me that love, give me that feedback, and I will make sure to give you that shout out and make sure I uh, follow through on improvements. All right, so thank you for that. And then, last but not least, please, please, please uh, check out the great partners we have. One of which is Manscaped.com. Who both partnered with them? Yes, once again, it is Lawnmower 3.0 season. Use promo code Hoopball20 H O O P B A L L two zero to get 20% off your order plus free shipping. Again, Hoopball20 H O O P B-A-L-L, we say this all the time, 2-0, get 20% off your order, plus free shipping. It is the best. I'm sitting here right now with my Manscaped Crop Mops and my um, wonderful, wonderful cologne. It is just the freshest thing out right now. It's called Refined, and let me tell you, do I feel more refined and dignified when I wear it? I'm not playing. It is that good. So definitely make sure to check that out again. Hoopball20, H-O-O-P. B-A-L-L-2-0. Thank you. And guess what? Your balls will thank you too. <laughs> All right, so I asked over the weekend for some questions for a mailbag. I wanted to switch it up a little bit and, and get some uh, get some general questions and thoughts and kind of go into them. And thank you all. I mean, I'm going to shout each one of you out by name and then follow it up on Twitter later. But I got a bunch of great questions, and I'm really, really appreciative of that. So without further ado, let's get started. We got to start with my good friend, Mark Schindler. Check him out at Mark M. Schindler, MBA, M-S-C-H-L-I-N-D-L-E-R, MBA, a friend of mine for sure. I guess I could say I'm a colleague of his on Premium Hoops, which is not only a bomb podcast, um, but also uh, what is now a budding podcast network and great content. In fact, uh, Mark just put out a piece on the Detroit Pistons' Jeremy Grant that is a definite read, so definitely make sure to look at that. But the question he asks is, what team are you most worried about that has started slowly? Now, Mark, because you know me so well, you probably know I'm a Westbrook fan. And because you know that, you know that the team has to be the Wizards. Um, The Wizards have been just, gosh, awful. Uh, Just defensively horrific. They're somehow 28th of 30th on defensive rating, but for my money, they're dead last. They are just horrible there. Offensive, they're okay. They're 12th out of 30th, but their offense isn't in the top 10 or close enough to like make you think, okay, this offense just needs to put together a couple of stops to hold the defense. No, this offense needs to put together a ton of them. And a lot of that, honestly, is really on the offensive end. The reason they're so good is, is, is almost solely on Bradley Beal. And this is crazy. Bradley Beal leads the Wizards in points per game. Russell Westbrook leads the league in, uh, in assists per game. I think I said that right. Bradley Beal leads the league in points. Russell leads the lead in assists, and they are two and eight. And yes, um, Russell Westbrook's missed a couple games now. Bradley Beal uh, missed uh, last yesterday's game with, uh, or two days ago, his game with COVID um, or uh, contact tracing. But that's crazy. And Bradley Beal, I mean, this is what I'm worried about. I think that with as good of a performance he's giving and as bad as the Witches are, that he might miss out on an all-NBA, all-star bid again because that winning or lack thereof is going to be a knock on him. And it sucks because 35 points, 5 rebounds, 4.6 assists per game. Effective field goal percentage of 53%. He's shooting 38% on 6 of 3s a night. Getting to the free throw line, 9 times or nine attempts a game. All of this on 48% from the field in 36 minutes. And that's what you get. Russell Westbrook, I mean, I guess he's had a slight improvement from three. If you want to give him a positive there, he is just short of a triple-double, 19 points, uh, nine rebounds, 11 assists per game. Uh, but he's shooting 37% from the field on 19 attempts a night. 41% effective field goal percentage, which is it's just not great. It's honestly second. It's, it's worse on the team of anyone who's played um, – 15 minutes or more. So that goes to show you just kind of where where you're at there. Um, 
it's it's rough. It's really rough. Um, Three-pointers, I guess he's shooting a little bit better. I guess there's something to be taken away from there. Uh, he's shooting 30%, which is better than 25. But, um, yeah, I don't think he win any medals for that. <laughs> Aside from that, his free throw attempt, uh, his free throw rate has been down markedly. Um, he's only getting five free throws a night. We talked about this a little bit ago in my Russell rant to start the show. And he doesn't look very energetic. He really doesn't. His uh, four rays into the basket are very rare. Um, he's starting to post up a little bit more like we talked about, and that's been um, nice to see at least get him to the foul line, but it kind of slows the offense down to a drag, and he's been making some horrific decisions out of the post in terms of passes that he can see but just gets a hair uh, trigger too late. And guess what? That's the difference between a turnover and a successful basket. And when you bring that into account and the fact that his lack of off-ball movement really stalls the offense when Beal can't get something going on the opposite side, then you have a problem. Putting Russell Westbrook on the weak side doesn't really do anything when he's not going to be a consistent cutter. And when you surround him with poor shooting around him, um, when you have Robin Lopez and Ishmith playing the majority of minutes alongside him, for example, you're not getting optimal results. So some of it's on him for sure. Some of it's on the team and the way they're structured. But all of it equals bad if you're a Wizards fan or really high on the Wizards. Um, Thomas Bryant went down with a really bad um, knee injury two nights ago. He was a bright spot for them, uh, not defensively, but 14.6 rebounds a night. Um... 42% from three. We have to see how he's going to go. Ruchi, Rui Hachimura, I mean, on the numbers look okay, but if you watch the games, he's had an uneven performance. Davis Batons is still definitely trying to work his way back into shape, and it shows he's shooting just 32% from three on just under uh, eight attempts a night. That's not great at all. Raul Neto's had his moments. Uh, Denny Advija had his moment. Um, Garrison Matthews had his, but you're not getting enough moments or sustained, consistent, strong play from the Wizards to say they're a success. And with a team that was a possible play-in game if we were being overly optimistic just going in to the season, to be 2-8 and eight now, it's rough. I think Fred Katz on Twitter put out um, the last two times that they were 2-8, and eight, and one time the Wizards were able to scrap and make it a 43-39 uh, season, and the other time they just ended up being like 24-58. and 58. So, I don't know where this team is. Can we assume that with Bradley Beal playing at such a torrid, effective pace and that Russell Westbrook will come back um, into some semblance of his prior self, at least in terms of the positives, and that Rui Hachimura will continue to bounce back and that um, Scott Brooks will release Troy Brown? There's a lot that we have to look into to say, okay, maybe the Wizard teams can come back and, and, and make a go of it as far as a season that is somewhat successful. But already, with as bad a start as they've had through 10 games, I don't think I'm overly optimistic. Aside from that, um, I would say the Lakers. I like, I'm a Lakers fan, y'all know this, but um, I feel like they've been sleepwalking. Like, the very thing that we lauded LeBron over for not doing last year, which is not taking any games off, which is coming in, you know, full speed ahead and, and keeping that intensive intensity, um, they're not doing it this year, it doesn't feel like. It feels like they're having those championship um, doldrums, which is expected, but not ideal. And, like, you know, they've they've lost a game to the Spurs they could have won if they played an out of defense. They had a game against the Bulls, and the Bulls are scrappy, but that came down to the wire. They've had some games that, I mean, it's a strange NBA season, so I don't want to hold it purely on their head, but, I mean, I am. I just don't think the intensity night tonight is there, even with the new guys that you have and the continuity that has to work itself into play here. I just feel like there's a lack of urgency, and, you know, for... Some guys on this team, especially Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell, who are really trying to make an impact and have made one, you need that leadership from the top, from LeBron and AD, um, sustained. And the Lakers have been good, but I just think they could be better. So that's a slight nit to pick, but, I mean, I did. Right, next question. Thank you, Mark, for that one. Next question comes from J.J. Rivera, my good friend, SBC alum, alongside Mark. Uh, Me and J.J. had some good times. He is also... um, not only is a real dope guy to follow on Twitter at 
JJ Rivera NBA. So definitely make sure to check that out. Um, he really knows his hoops. I feel like I say about everybody I'm with, but I'm so, so fortunate to be able to. Uh, he's also contributed for Fanside. It's Los Angeles Lakers site, uh, Lakeshore Life. And he is host of the 305 Culture Pod and Out of Bounds PC. So definitely check both of those podcasts out. Again, at JJ Rivera. And um, as far as his question, ooh, sorry, breaking news, y'all, breaking news. As I'm recording this, um, just found out per Woj, that Washington Wizards center, Thomas Bryant, we just talked about, has suffered a torn ACL to his left knee. He is out for the year. God dang injuries. Oh, my God. That is big for them. Um, wow. That is that is big. A big loss for the Wizards. He was someone who offensively gave some continuity to the Wizards, even as bad as they played. Someone who, you know, defensively was at least competing I mean, ACL injury is a, is a horrible one. That is, this is insane. That's crazy. I'm, oh my gosh, this is, this is horrible. Um, I guess if you're looking at fancy impact, like you're looking at Robin Lopez a lot more now. But if you're looking at a basketball impact, you're looking at Robin Lopez. And Thomas Bryant, man, such an energetic guy who is the perfect connector for, for Westbrook and, and, and Beal in terms of someone who could space the floor and shoot and someone who could roll to the basket and finish just resoundingly. And to have him gone, I mean, you hope the best for the young man. You hope he comes back in full health next season. I'm wildly optimistic. He looks like a hard worker, and he's made improvement in his game over the years. So that is something that you're definitely um, excited about as far as, you know, hoping that he bounces back stronger. But injuries suck, man. Injuries injuries suck. Gosh darn it. Wow. All right, well, uh, we'll definitely have more on that as we continue to kind of monitor uh, where the Wizards go from here. But, yes, Thomas Bryant, um, a torn ACL, he is – most definitely out for the season. All right, J.J. Rivera, um, his question. Do you think that the Magic and Cavs can sustain a top-five defensive rating the rest of the way? I personally don't think so. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Oh, J.J., you you know. You know. I know you know. Um, I don't. I mean, the Magic... Uh, the Cavs have some interesting... Interesting in personnel being Isaac Okoro. But um, their defense right now, I think some of it's come down to how well they've at least a little, played a little bit better under um, J.B. Baker's staff. And I think some of it's come down to shot luck and some shots that aren't falling that are going to start falling, you know? So I don't look at that as something that inherently for Cleveland is is good. It's weird because they are, right now as it stands, 29th in offensive rating and number one in defensive rating. And it's like, where is this coming from, you know? But... Yeah, as far as um, opponents shot against them, I mean, right now, and they're actually doing pretty decent. Opponents shooting 38% from three against them. Um, don't expect them to rise up too much, but uh, I just don't think it's sustainable. I don't look at guys up and down the roster. Andre Drummond is a decent defender. Um, Isaac Okoro obviously made a huge impact as a rookie in that end. Aside from that, Larry Nance a little bit. Darius Garland, Colin Sexton, while they may have made improvements, they're nowhere near that. No one's looking at Kevin Love like that. Chetty Osman is competent. He can hold his position. Uh, but I just don't see the makings of a stand-up, you know, grinded-out, lockdown defensive team with defensive luminaries that can really make things hard for your individual level. You know, I just think that some of it's maybe the quality of the opponent and, 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 and a little bit is just um, shot luck. And, and, yeah, there's some defensive improvement. Don't get it twisted. But number one, eh. I'm, I'm not a buyer on that one. Uh, I guess you could say same with the Orlando Magic, to be completely honest with you. Uh, although they have some more defensive personnel uh, that 
at least would lend itself to think that that's something that's somewhat sustainable. Um, definitely top half of the league for me. I don't know if I'm if I'm looking at them as a team that's going to be like top five, top ten. And right now, in fact, uh, they're 15th in defensive rating. That's about where I see them. Can they climb up a little bit? Yes. Uh, they have some good athletes. They have the great wingspan. Some guys who are defensively sound. Um, average on that end. You know, there's not a whole a lot of uh, turnstiles defensively there. But at the same time, I don't look at them as like, again, another team that is trying to think of like a Clippers team when they're locked in, you know, and they have their defensive lineup. So the Lakers, when they're fully engaged, teams that you know defensively are good defenders, their scheme is solid, and you're not scoring a point against them. You know, uh, I don't see that with this team. Miami, I guess, in certain lineups. I don't see that uh, with Orlando, at least long term. So those are my thoughts there, and I'm, I'm glad we kind of agree on that. But yeah. All right, next question comes from Aaron Washington, another guy. Oh, my gosh. I I, I got questions from the... I, good buddies man not to not to say oh man i have good friends all the time and stuff but these guys are really making waves uh in the nba world they're really doing stuff aaron washington follow him on twitter at a capital a underscore a underscore r-o-n-2-5 gotta talk to my bro about changing that up again capital a underscore a underscore r-o-n um he's actually gonna be on our pod on this pod in a couple uh in a couple of days so that'll be fun but um he's a podcaster and writer for business casual basketball and unwrap sports, and he's also one of the six creators and managers of No Trade Clause. Uh, and we're going to find out a lot more about that when we have him on, but it's on Twitter at No Trade underscore Clause. Um, and yet another, I keep saying, um, I got to figure that out. And yet another sports business class alum. In fact, myself, Aaron, and JJ were all on the same uh, team unit during that experience, and it was a lot of fun. Um, a lot of fun. But Aaron asks if the Spurs elect to make DeRozan available via trade, which team should take a look at obtaining him? This is an interesting one. Now, I was thinking about this, and I was like, what teams could make it happen? Would the Wizards be willing to trade the farm in another desperation move to bring another guy who, you know, I mean, I, I can't even say. They're actually shooting three ball better this year. He's actually shooting 39% on a decent attempts, uh, amount of attempts per game. But would they be willing to make, like, a break-the-bank kind of move to bring in another contender that could play small forward? Um, you know, and shooting, again, you're, you're messed up, but you have someone that's an upgrade uh at the small forward position alongside Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. Is that something they would possibly be intrigued by? Um, and taking on that money? I don't know. Uh, a pipe dream would be going back to Toronto. I don't see that. Boston, would they be interested in making a move? I don't see that. I think the one team that I keep coming back to, and they've been talked about for, what, two years now? Concerning DeMar DeRozan is the Orlando Magic, especially given the absence of Markel Fultz. I just think you have a, a, an offensive opening, where someone can take charge, initiate offense. So DeMar DeRozan is one of the best in the NBA right now in terms of initiating plays and getting others involved. He's averaging for this season uh, 21 points, 5 rebounds, and 7 assists. So he can play as like you're a primary playmaker while also getting to the line and shooting the three ball well and making things happen in terms of offensive creation standpoint. And I think that slots in perfectly. He would come in right now if he was on this team right between Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross as the number two scorer. Um, on this team, they've so far been okay. Uh, the Magic have offensively, but like that loss of Markel Fultz is huge on them. They're 26th in offensive rating right now. Uh, their point guard play is is an issue. Again, you're gonna overmax people's roles in terms of uh, what outside of uh, Evan Fournier, uh, off ball creation, uh, Cole Anthony getting a lot more as a rookie and, and not shooting it very well from the floor, 31% from the field, 17% from three. You look up and down the roster, uh, I guess you're going to throw some more playmaking minutes to Mark Carter-Williams for like the first time in, in a couple of years when his point guard dreams are still very much a dream. Uh, I, I don't see it. 
Like, who is the primary initiator for the Magic moving forward? And yeah, they're going to have a disabled veterans ex- or disabled players exception for Fultz more than likely, but are you going to get someone back that can really run your offense uh, and, and give some league average offense from that area? And can you just, if not, play through Nikola Vucevic and Terrence Ross off the bench and other guys and just kind of hope that you can cobble together enough playmaking from those guys and the threat of their offense? I don't see it. I think DeMar DeRozan would be a perfect fit for that squad in terms of what he brings to the table. Working out a trade would be interesting. Maybe you could finally move on for Aaron Gordon. And yes, I understand this is a short-term thing, but if Aaron Gordon is not a long-term piece to your future, or if this is the ceiling you have with Gordon, then you give the Spurs someone who, young enough, is, is, is young enough to fit in their core. And talking about if he's a centerpiece of the deal. And someone who can, you know, play within the traditional way that the Spurs like to use their big men, but can also mesh well as you know, someone who can do a little bit more playmaking in spots. Someone who can shoot the three a little bit. Not great, but a little bit. You know, things of that sort. I imagine a front line with, I mean, the key would be getting getting um, DeRozan and not having to lose other players because you want to keep most of that core for San Antonio. But if you have DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, you still have Derek White, you have Keldon Johnson, and then you have Aaron Gordon, that's pretty athletic. That's pretty fun. That five-man lineup, that, that that's pretty legit, right? Exactly, that's exciting for me. So that would be my first um, and and really only trade destination. I'm sure there's a few more. I just got to think about why it would work for both parties, and I don't see it yet. But Orlando is like a a hand-in-glove fit right now for DeMar DeRozan, especially the way he's playing this year uh, with his confidence now in shooting the three ball with with some, I said, some semblance of confidence. That's that's great for him. All right, next question comes from Sam. Thank you, Sam, at S-M-F-L-M. N H F T N B A. Gotta say it one more time. At S M F L M N H F T N B A. Which early season trend or overreaction do you think is most legit, and which do you think is least legit? Example given: the Phoenix Suns being contenders and the Washington Wizards being bad. Honestly, Sam, with the way that the season has been so far, I feel there's a ton of overreactions and trends right now. One, the blowouts. I mean, we've had like. 50, something like 53, 20-point lead so far in this season. That's a lot. Even for, I mean, we get a lot in the season. That's still a lot. You know, um, I think that's something that as teams kind of find their rhythm, uh, you know, I, th- I look at this like the extended preseason deal, and they're just now getting into actual season action that we're going to see a higher quality of basketball where we're not going to see those big blowouts and teams just concede. So that's a thought for sure. Another one about the Wizard Washington Wizards being bad. I hope not. Again, I go back to the Wizards. Um, I mean, they're 2-8, and eight and they look bad already defensively. Offensively, they were clunky and not enough, even though the offense was good. And now you have a major blow to that with the loss of Thomas Bryant. So I might have to turn to the fact that, yeah, they probably will be bad because I don't know how you make a rectification to that. You know, I, I think I used that word, right? Like, how do you make that better? You know, those guys aren't just going to become great defensive players overnight unless you have a better scheme offensively while losing one of your major offensive weapons for the Wizards. I don't know if you have a way to circumvent that. So it's going to be interesting to see how they come back and, and you know, save this season. It's still kind of wide open in the back half of the East, which is sort of good, but they're sitting dead last right now, the Wizards are. So, I mean, the time to, to, to turn it around is now. Um, as far as the Phoenix Suns being contenders, I mean, I'm not going to lie, that team... It looks legit. They had one letdown when they lost to Detroit a couple nights back. But so far, so good. Uh, this team right now, I mean, the Steve, the, the Chris Paul effect is definitely in effect. Is the Steve, the, why do I keep wanting to say Steve Paul? The Chris Paul effect is definitely in play. Uh, the Suns are like dead last in pace right now. But 
They're fourth in offensive rating, they're ninth in defensive rating, and they're fourth in net rating. So top 10 in offensive and defensive rating and in net rating top five. That's not a fluke. I mean, they are really solid right now. Um, and what I like about them right now is their balance. The balance of this team is something else. They have seven different players in double digits uh, for the season averaging so far, um, led by Devin Booker with 22 points, three rebounds, and four assists. And he has not been having a good year by his standards. Um, Mikael Bridges has been pretty solid, 15 and five. Chris Paul, you know... He's been a, a solid enough player so far. Not shooting great from three, 29%, but 13 points and eight assists per game. And having a competent playmaker alongside Booker opens up so much for him. And also for the next guy I'm about to talk about, DeAndre Ayton, who in my mind has had a maddening uh, third year here. 12 points and 11 rebounds. I mean, it's not super great with games where he seems to be the assertive guy that we expect and then games where he doesn't know whether to take a 15-footer when he has a wide open lane to the basket or whether he wants to take only nine shots for no apparent reason. It's stuff like that that's definitely interesting. But, I mean, you have to hope that Chris Paul will bounce back in form. 8 of 27 from 3 uh, through 10 games, not Chris Paul at all. And with that, I think his offense comes another level. Mikel Bridges had a breakout game. I think he had 34 points against the Indiana Pacers a couple nights back. So, you're looking at that to continue. Devin Booker is Devin Booker. Jay Crowder has been a great addition for them. Uh, Langston Galloway has shooting. He's shooting 52% from three through 10 games. Already knocked out 17. He's doing good. I mean, you have some nice pieces here. Only thing I can think about with the Suns that's going to haunt me is what would they have been if they had not drafted Jalen Smith and just went with Devin Vassell? That, 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 is, that is my question as another wing who fits perfectly alongside those guys, basically making up for the loss of Kelly Oubre. I will never understand that. I really thought that was a golden opportunity the Suns just let go away. And so far, Jalen Smith, I mean, some of it's been out due to injury and some just in general, but he's not looked good. So, I mean, very, very small sample size. The guys played two games. But, like, Devin Vassell already would be a much more impactful player. Uh, unfortunate circumstances notwithstanding. So, eh, I don't know how I feel about that one. All right, next question from Nick Andre at underscore Nick Dormus, N-I-C-K-D-O-R-M-U-S. How do you think the loss of Fultz will allow Orlando to play the rest of the year? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, the, I think teams like Orlando right now is reasons why the Wizards and the Bulls and other teams in the back half of the conference can keep playoff or playing hopes alive, especially with them being able to go 10 games deep, because Orlando can go a number of ways. Are they going to try to make a move now? I mean, that was their real clear-cut playmaker who's having a breakout year. Um, if you know he had a strong year last year, he's playing even more strong this year in Fultz. And the loss of him is, is, is big. It's very tangible. Um, I don't know how you bounce back from that. You know, you don't have another capable guy that you go and say, okay, you know, this backup guy's been in, our, in, in the wings and he's ready to take over control. That's Cole Anthony right now? It's not super great. Again, Mike Card Williams, Ed and Fournier, I'm going to watch their most recent game and see kind of how they adapted and, and how they end up working it out. Um, Cole Anthony definitely got an influx of minutes, but just how does that look? And so that's going to be something to monitor moving forward, but I really don't know what the Magic do in terms of showing that up. I mean, they don't have a plethora of playmakers on that team. Uh, I would say, with Nikola Vucevic, probably your next best one, depending on how you feel about Cole Anthony traditionally in terms of a playmaker. But, like, Vuce is someone who can pass a little bit. I'm not high on Evan Fournier in that area. Yeah, I guess he can do it. He can play a little bit out of pick and roll, but that's not his game to me at all. Um, and playmaking for him is, is kind of weird there. You just don't have that guy. Mike Carter-Williams is definitely more of a wing. Even when he was a point guard in, in, in name only, he was more of a wing, you know? Um, I, I guess you could look at him in some kind of playmaking chops and having experience in playing that way, but I don't like it. I'm doing bacon, no. I mean, I, go down the list. The more I see it, the less I like it. There's a DeMar DeRozan joke there somewhere. Shout out to Drake. The more I see Anyway, if I say it, then it's not that funny. But that's something I'm looking at as an interesting issue because they have enough on the team to still be competitive. 
but do they have enough to be competitive and still be in the thick of things? It depends how you feel about them. And I feel like Fultz was such a great connector and was playing so strong that he was a leader in and of himself. Just not only like locker room wise, but I'm saying like one of the better players on the floor at any given moment. And now you put a lot more stress on Vooch and Fournier. And I think we know how that dance goes, personally. You know, and you don't have the benefit of having a DJ Augustine or that steady, capable vet to come in and capably helm your team as he has done in years past. That guy now plays, uh, you know, in Milwaukee. So it's, it's a little different there. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that the loss is big. And I don't know how it's going to allow them to play, but I'm not overly optimistic with the results I think we'll see over the long term. My next question comes from a friend of mine in the NBA uh, Twitter group chat. Uh, the name Towimo Akimbuwale uh, at T-O-M-Z-D-9-9. I'll say it one more time. At T-O-M-Z-D-9-9. Shout out to my bro there. Is Ben Simmons a bust for someone selected number one overall? So, this was interesting. I mean, offhand, I immediately went, no, you know, um, not a bust. Because when I think bust, I think people more like um, Michael Olawan Candy or Anthony Bennett. Guys who, for whatever reason, just didn't shake out at all. Like, you know, massive expectations are always placed on number one pick. But if you can't even get marginal expectations, then I think there's an issue. So what I want to do here is look at the last, let's just even go back 20 years in number one overall picks and, and then see kind of where they are. Because for me, I, when I think number one, I think like the best player on a championship team is like the high, you know, like a guy who can reach that level and lead a team, you know, or at least a contender, not even a championship team, just a contender. So looking at 2000, we have Kenyon Martin, number one in that year, which I mean, fine player for sure, but like a very good role player. Uh, definitely not that type of guy. Then we have Kwame Brown. He would be someone I would consider a bust, even though he ended up making a very good career for himself uh, in terms of a long-lasting NBA career. But four points and three rebounds um, as your career averages for a number one, no. Then would be Yao Ming. I would be okay with that. LeBron James in 2003. Dwight Howard, 2004. Andrew Bogut, eh, not really. Andre Bargnani, eh, Greg Oden. In 2007, then we have in 2008, Derrick Rose, 2009, Blake Griffin, 2010, John Wall, 2011, Kyrie, 2012, Anthony Davis, 2013, Anthony Bennett, we already talked about him, 2014, Andrew Wiggins, 2015, Carl Anthony Towns, then Ben Simmons, then we have Mark Fultz, DeAndre Ayton, Zion Williamson, and Anthony Edwards. Out of those guys, Edwards and Zion, still way too soon to tell. Mark Fultz, I think we know where he's going to be, but that's not fitting what I would presume of a number one overall pick. Um... And I think Ben Simmons is more in that range. Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, he's been the best player for a team, or is right now, but the team has also done a poor job building around him that I'm not willing to go just all the way against him on that. Um, Andrew Wiggins, obviously not. He's fallen short of expectations there. Anthony Davis, depending on how you think about him alongside LeBron, I think he's achieved that ceiling. You could say the same thing for Kyrie Irving, John Wall, eh, but you've seen what he's done over his career. Same with Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose. Um... Andrew Bogut, serviceable role player, Dwight Howard, LeBron James, Yao Ming being stars, and obviously Bargnani and Greg Oden being relative busts. So, again, all that to say, looking back at Ben Simmons, is he my type of player? No. Do I think he'd be the best player on a championship team or contender? No, I do not. I just think it's hard to build around a playmaker or a forward who is the primary playmaker but can't shoot. Um creating reliable offense for himself and others, eh, in my opinion. I mean, he does a decent job at it, but I think he's better in transition, playing alongside a Markel Fultz type or a, a scoring point guard type where he can maximize his abilities of playmaking for in spots and not run the entire offense through him. So he is not my type of player in that sense, and I also don't think he'll achieve that type of ceiling. 
I guess Houston would be the best chance for him to kind of go out and have a team of his own. As long as he's in Philadelphia alongside Joel Embiid, uh, he's going to have to share that, and Joel Embiid is the better player. So, I mean, in my mind, that's where it comes down to. Uh, with that being said, a bust, no. No, he's a serviceable guy, top 25 NBA player, not a bust. But also, not my type of player, and I can understand why a question like that could come up, because, you know, no. From Zach Knowlton, uh, also friend from the NBA Twitter group chat. I'm in at Z-A-C-K-A-T-T-A-C-K-A-R-Y. Zach Attackery 21. Um, which team besides Houston most needs a trade? In my mind, I look at Washington. Uh, they're just falling apart right now. I look at Orlando. I feel like these two teams, especially with the loss of Markel Fultz, is something big. Um, it's still with such a weird season, hard to tell what can be done. Denver should be active on a trade, especially for another offensive initiator, uh, with the way Jamal Murray's playing and how much responsibility is on Nikola Jokic's shoulders right now. If they could get a Bradley Beal or something of that sort, I think they pounce on that. Boston, if something opportunistic comes across, I think they touch on that. But to me, it's, it's a lot in the East. The Western Conference right now is weird, but... I don't see any team that is pressing that needs to make a move. At least not yet. Maybe it'll shake out a little bit better um, later on. All right, so these two or three come from, well, actually, these three. The remainder of my questions come from Discord, and this, again, is another shout-out to the Hoopball Discord chat that that has going on. It's always popping. Uh, got a lot of fancy perspective stuff, but this is actually from the main NBA channel, just the general NBA talk where I'm at. So this is from... Um, at Rafi Sim, R-A-F-F-Y-S-M, where does Jared Allen finish now that he's a starter? Top 30, top 40, top 50. He's more of a fantasy-type question, um, which is usually out of my element, but guess what? I got a little something-something for you. I will put him top 40. Maybe top 30. I think the production that you're getting in terms of points and rebounds is pretty solid. He should have been a starter from the very beginning. I think that's just objective. Outside of fantasy basketball terms, just as a basketball player, he is a better player than DeAndre Jordan. He just has been. He's a lot more quick of foot in terms of lateral movement. He's able to protect the rim a lot better. He can rebound more. He can actually score more efficiently outside of just around the basket in a way that DeAndre Jordan can. And he provides more help on the back line than Jordan does at his stage of his career. So, just obvious. So, in terms of fantasy perspective, I mean, I can think of 30 players. I, I, I... align my fantasy rankings along with like best players in the NBA rankings, which eh, it's an imperfect science, like very imperfect, but that's why you have Dan Bespris and Adam Washington and, and, and Aaron Bruski. You have all these guys from Hoopball who are fantasy pros. So that guys like me who just watch a lot of basketball and maybe not put the two and two together on the fantasy side can go together. I mean, for reference, my fantasy basketball team right now has a starting shooting guard small forward combo of and this is gonna make y'all laugh, so be careful with it here. All right, watch, watch yourselves now. Don't want any of the roasting that I might see, but it's Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards. Now, what was I thinking? I thought that Anthony Edwards would start the three, Malik Beasley would start the two. It'd work out fine. They wouldn't cannibalize each other's minutes. There'd be enough staggering, and uh, I wasn't using common sense. And that happens from time to time. But to go back to that, yeah, I do think Jared Allen, um, in my mind, is top, top. I don't say top forty. Also, from Rafi Sim. When will Houston start to feel the pressure to trade Harden? I think the pressure's kind of been there. I think it adds up if they continue to have losses and Harden continues to be a distraction. But as the last couple of weeks, he has not been that, and Houston's been somewhat okay. So I don't think, I think it's no more pressure than they had on them beforehand to come through and make a trade for Harden. I think that'd be opportunistic. Uh, you know, see some other teams that desperately need some shooting guard play. Maybe a team, I mean, it's been talked about already, um, Brooklyn, or they've been deep, though. They don't need him at all. Um, you know, maybe a team like Indiana. That's a sleeper team. That'd be interesting if he'd ever want to go there. You know, things like that, where teams that, the unconventional teams might pop up and say, hey, we have the assets, we can make this happen. You know, and then maybe they go that way. Um, 
maybe Denver. I don't know. I'm just going in that vein of, of teams that can do it. Um, there's no more pressure on them than there was before to make a move now because, you know, Harden hasn't been a continued disruption to the team. But it's still there. And what's the point of keeping him? They might not even make the playoffs. At this point, just have more value with him on your team than you do with him on someone else's team before whatever assets they give you. Like, yeah, they might make the playoffs, and that would be unfortunate, but also it's just been that chaotic of a year for Houston already that it's not a surprise. But the bottom line is the opportunity cost of having Harden on your team. If you don't trade him now and you don't make the playoffs, he's available during the offseason, whether that be at the draft, whether that be just at the free agency, whether that be before the season. You still have him in play, and he's still going to be a solid player, at least in the range that he's in, what, I'd say top 10, top 15 for sure, for this year through next. After that, it's getting a little, little dodgy, but... I think that makes a lot of sense. So for Houston, it's getting the maximum return in a package for Harden. And if you don't get that right now, why are you pressuring yourself to swing into a miss? Do you want to make a trade like the Magic did a couple years back? Well, almost a decade now when they traded Dwight Howard away and they got serviceable pieces. The only one that really bore any fruit was Nikola Vucevic. For a superstar player like Dwight Howard back then, like James Harden now, you want a little bit more than that. Just my thoughts. So that's why you keep him. Just, you have to. Uh, At Wamba. W-A-M-B-A on Discord. What would you give up for MPJ? Michael Porter Jr. Um, I mean, I'm looking at a star. He's going to have to be like my my signature core piece for a James Harden, for a, a not a Victor Oladipo or anything, but when they were talking about Drew Holiday, he'd be that piece. Michael Porter Jr. is a stud offensively. He's a kind of weird dude, but offensively he's good. Defensively, obviously, his weaknesses, but he can rebound. He's an exciting young piece. If I'm giving him away, I'm prioritizing him as a piece of my core. So if I'm doing that, I'm getting something that's worthy of, of a young piece that you can grow along with. I mean, he's very young. So that's that's my mindset. That's how I look at him when it comes to Michael Porter Jr. and what he brings to the table. He's someone you can put on a team like Houston and he'll be up there for the next decade. Run through him on offense, starting three, side to the four. Offensive, you know, uh, playmaking in the, in the vein of putting the ball in the basket. Give him all the minutes he wants, all the production he wants from that end. Like, there you go. From my mind, I'm getting someone that's an established star if I'm doing that. And for Denver's perspective, if you're getting a player like that, you're trying to win now. You've been knocking on the door for three, four years now. And yes, you've got guys who are still young. Jamal Murray just 23. Nikola Jokic is 25. Like, you still got young guys. But at a certain point, you have to go to the next level. James Harden can help you with that. There might be another win-now player that, that comes out between now and the trade deadline that can help you get there. And not just another second-round exit or a Western Conference Finals appearance. So if you have that chance, you take it, right? And guess what? If that chance comes to the table, that's what Michael Porter Jr. is worth. I'm not doing him like straight up for Tyler Hero or something like that. That makes zero sense to me. But if I can get an established star and you know what Michael Porter Jr. brings you right now, add into account his age and how well he can continue to develop, you do that. That would be the only way I would trade for Michael Porter Jr. Or, or trade him if I'm Denver. All right, so this is from at Lefty. L-E-F-T-E-E. So me and at Dally007, D-A-E-L-L-I-E-007, had a discussion about the Drummond-Cavs scenario. What do you think the Cavs need to do to be a consistent playoff contender moving forward? And what are some trade scenarios for Drummond, possibly the Hornets? Uh, the Hornets, I guess, makes some sense if you think about it. It's weird, but, I mean, Cody Zell is in the last year of a contract. You only have a big that stands out right now. Bismarck Biombo's been there forever, but, like... Really? The fact that I said that is probably a, a shout to Bismarck Biombo. Um, You know, Andre Drummond at, what, 27 is still somewhat young enough to be there. He's just the type of player that uh, Michael Jordan would think, like that pseudo star that you can, like, break the bank for. Um, on the court, he might work well defensively along, like, as a backline guy. Uh, definitely rebounding monster when you have Gordon Hayward and um, LaMelo Ball and others like that. He would be your clear center option moving forward. He makes some weird plays and thinks he does he can do more than he can, but... 
I mean, I guess that comes with the territory when it comes to Drummond. That would actually make a lot of sense to me. Um, another trade offhand, I don't see one forthcoming. It's the same thing why, like, the free agency market would have been thin for him. Like, what team needs Andre Drummond right now? I'm sure there is. Like, you know, a team will make an irrational decision. But right now, off the top of my head, I just don't see it. Washington, maybe? That's another thought. If you think that he's a guy that can kind of come up there and, and solidify that line. Um, aside from that, that's that's all I got. So... That's a good one. Um, as far as what did the Cavs need to be a consistent playoff contender moving forward? Um, hmm. I mean, continue to see how the backcourt of Darius Garland and, and Colin Sexton continues to develop. You know, see what you get when Kevin Porter comes back into play. Um, Isaac Okoro is already a stud moving forward, so you have that in play. And, and just watch those guys. Maybe get a couple of veteran guys who can continue to help these players continue. Uh, see if you're going to trade Kevin Love. You get a, just any type of return for him. Uh, Larry Nance, I mean, you have some pieces. I don't see it this year, but they've been pretty surprising already. So another year of season under the belt. Bickerstaff is a solid enough coach, I guess, you know, um, and just working from there. They have pieces in play that you can kind of move forward with. It's just figuring out what is your long-term, your long-term stays, you know, who are your guys that are going to be there uh, for the future. Right now, Colin Sexton and Derek Gar- Garland look like locks to me, and Isaac Coral fits in right there. So it's really Kevin Porter Jr. and who goes around there. And also, I mean, maybe Garland is as much of a lock as I think. Colin Sexton is. At least you know what he is. He's a scoring guard. You know, I mean, he's a scoring guard. So that might be what, three, four people right there that you can evaluate, and then the rest you have to figure out moving forward. But I like where they're starting. Unlike some Cleveland teams in years past, iterations past, they have some pieces that you can look at and go, okay, I can see them on the next solid casting. So, that's solid. I just think maybe they're a year away from being a year away. And then, and then, they'll be ready. My legs will run three straight and Russell will have gotten MVP. I'm just making fun of that last part. That That's a pipe dream. Anywho, that will do it on this weekend bonus, whatever episode of NBA Today. Appreciate all the love and the questions. I thank y'all for that. That really made the show a lot more interesting. Uh, definitely, I'm going to try to do this, what, bi-weekly? Get some questions. Have some fun on that. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Make sure to check out HoopBall. As I always say, on Twitter at HoopBall tweets online, hoop-ball.com. Monitor the NBA situation, y'all. It's crazy with this COVID and all these contact tracings and everything. It's it's a lot. I have thoughts on where the NBA should go with this, but I'm going to give it a couple more games to see how it bears out, and then, you know, that'll be the subject of another show. But until then, y'all, I am frosty. Y'all stay frosty. And I will talk to y'all tomorrow. Hi, right, y'all. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.